0: have the privilege of having Matt and Elizabeth Reynolds with us this morning. I think many of you probably are familiar with Matt and Elizabeth and their dear family. They were with us beginning in 2008 all the way to December 2014 serving so as an associate pastor. We were very significantly blessed by their ministry and from this very pulpit we actually commissioned Matt to be the lead pastor of Midlothian Bible Church and some amazing things are happening there. And uh, we've been trying to get Matt back for a while, but the guy's like traveling all around. He's hard to get, you know, but we are so glad to have you and your dear family with us. So Matt Reynolds, welcome back to Fellowship Bible Church. So we get to have you well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. Am I on? Am I good? Yes. Well, it is a delight to be back here again. Um, we have many, many fond memories of here. Um, Rowdy, when I came here, was uh, really a, a great time of uh, really healing. We had had a first church that was difficult uh, to work with, and so it was awesome to be able to come here uh, to work with many of you all. Uh, so you'll see Dr. Lee, he's still at it. He's got him a row full of students, which is awesome. Um, and so it's awesome here to be here this morning with you all. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And um, one of the most uh, unusual figures in church history is a man named Simeon Uh Simeon Stylites uh, Stylit was uh, one of the first of the so-called uh, desert fathers. And uh, he got the wild, crazy idea that in order to get closer to the Lord, what he was going to do was that he was going to go live on the edge of the Syrian desert... And he was going to live on top of a pillar six feet high. And uh, from there, he was going to com- commune closer with the Lord. That was his whole idea. He had all kinds of visitors. Matter of fact, Some visitors came out just to see if the guy was nuts or not uh, to live on top of a, of a pillar like that. But people would come and they would bring him food. And he actually lived on top of that pillar for six years, six years. And, and asked, why would he do that? His his whole goal of why he was seeking to do that is that he was seeking to commune with God in solitude, free from worldly distractions, living on top of a pole in the desert. Well, as strange as it may seem, Philip Ryken asked this. He says, the life of Simeon silent raises an important question. What does it mean to be spiritual? For Simeon, that concerned For him to be more spiritual was to live in the desert on the edge of the city. For him it was to get higher off the ground. And the higher as possible was the more spiritual. But the reality is that is not what Scripture teaches us. matter of fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He calls us to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ literally means to, to rest in Him, to depend upon Him, to trust in Him, to draw on His resources to live out the Christian life. It involves a life that is marked by time in the Word and prayer, but also obedience to the Word. And one of the commands he gives in John chapter 15 is that we're to love one another. And the reality of what true spirituality is, it's not living on top of a pillar in the desert, but true spirituality is out of a love for God and a desire to commune with Him, we allow that to overflow into our lives to where we have a love for one another. A love for one another that is seen in all the other one-anothers of Scripture. To forgive one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another. That's where real spirituality is seen. And that's what I want to show you all this morning here. I want to focus in on one of those one-another commands here in Galatians chapter 6. If you would, let's let's read along with me. or follow along as I read. It says this in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now within these five verses here, I believe there is one primary command. And the one primary command is that seen in Galatians two, verse two there, six two. And that command there again is to bear one another's burdens. That word burden there is a it's a descriptive word for us. It's, it's, a, it's a Greek word that speaks to bear a heavy load. A, a load that is too difficult to bear on your own. It's, it's metaphorical and represents any of the difficulties and the problems that we may face here in life. And here's the reality that we all know. The reality is, as long as we live in, in these bodies, and as long as we live in this difficult world... There will be ups and downs in life. Am I right? There will be troubles. There will be burdens. There will be job stress. There will be deep personal loss. There will be sorrow. There will be grief. There will be relentless struggles with sin. There will be loneliness. There may be chronic pain. There will be disabilities. There's divorce. There's abuse. There's addiction. There's depression. There is worry, anxiety, doubt. And you all could add some to that, couldn't you? That's the world that we live in. Until so Jesus Christ comes back, we are called as the body of Christ, the church, as the family of God, to bear one another's burdens. Now, some of you, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking right now. Well, Matt, I don't, I don't, I don't need to do that because because I can just I can just take my my burdens. I can pray them directly to God. And you know what? My answer is, you're right. You, you, you can do that. And you should. If you have a burden, you should take it directly to the Lord. Matter of fact, uh, this is what the Scriptures tell us. That They tell us that you ought to cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be removed. Peter says this, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That is, we have a God who is so powerful, so mighty, that He is sovereign in control, that His shoulders are broad enough to bear not only our burdens, but all the burdens of the world. However, because He's able to do that, does not mean He has not chosen other means. Matter of fact, in His infinite wisdom and perfect knowledge, He has chosen you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have a calling that we are to bear one another's burdens. That is, the infinite God wants to work through us to carry out his mission to help carry the burdens for each other. When I was uh, in ninth grade, um, I had just gotten uh, finished growing four inches in one year. And uh, I had turned into a taller, knobby-kneed beanpole of a young high school student. All right, Anybody in here ever experienced that? Am I the only one? Thank you. I thank you. We, we are, we're brothers, all right? But I decided at the time that it was time for me to start lifting weights. All right, and you can tell the, the effects that the weights have had on me. I'm still I'm still carrying it to this day. But so when you go in there, you're pretty pumped up. You know, you're gonna go in and say, like, "Man, I can," you know, I, you know, I can push my sister around, so I can come in here and I can lift some weights. And so you get started. So you get on your first rep, and you're kind of like, "Yeah, I'm pretty good at this." I just burn that rep out. You get to your second rep, you you burn that out, and then you get to your third rep, and, and each time they're adding more weight on. All right, so you guys know what I'm talking about. So you're there and you're, you're getting kind of cocky and you're just kind of kind of pushing away like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then you're, you're oh, you guys know this right now. You guys lift the weights. Your elbows start doing this number here. Right. And you're getting about nine. And those of you lift the weights, you know what starts happening. You start going, help, help me, help. And at that time, you, 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 you need help. At that time, what you need is you need someone to come up underneath you, and they need to come under, and they need to put their hands underneath that weight and start to lift that up there for you. See, see, if you are listening to the weightlifting coach, if you're reading the weightlifting manual, you know that you're never supposed to be lifting weights by yourself, right? That at all times, when you're lifting weights, you should have at least one Maybe two, and if you're lifting heavy weight, you need three spotters there to be lifting with you. See, that's the Christian life, too. The Christian life is that when we're lifting and we're pumping out weights, and when the burdens are coming on and, and they're getting weighty, and we get to number eight, and we're crying, Help me! That is, we, we ought to have people in our lives. We ought to be the people that come underneath the weight. Because the Christian life is meant to be lived with a spotter. The Christian life is meant to be lived with a spotter. God never intended it, that you and I live the Christian life by lifting weights all on our own. He's called for us to have spotters in our lives. Now, this this calls for three implications, all right? Three implications. The first one is this. That is, the first implication is that you must be willing to let people bear burdens in your life. I mean, how stupid would it be? Okay. How stupid would it be if I was lifting weights? I'm pumping away. I'm on rep or I'm on number seven and I'm pushing away at it and I push and I push and I'm yelling, help, help me. And people come up and I say, no, get away from me. Don't do that. And I just keep kind of straining. I keep straining so much. My arms start giving out and I even let it come down and it's it's threatening to crush my throat. How idiotic would it be for me to turn those spotters away? stupid. We do that all the time in the Christian life. All the time in the Christian life, we turn spotters away. We turn spotters away. This is why in verse three or four, look at the text here. Look what it says here. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one should test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, the first implication of this verse is this. It is this. That is, first of all, this is a warning against ourselves. That is, it's a warning against comparing ourselves to other people and using other people's burdens to make us feel better about ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? We we like to do that too, don't we? We like to go, you know, at least I don't have that thing. I don't have that problem going on. And, and we walk away and we feel a little bit better about ourselves. That, that's the warning. That's the temptation. He's saying, don't be so prideful. He says, no, you, you need to understand. and matter of fact, here's another point to it. We should not be shocked by the burdens other people carry. We should not be shocked by the sin burdens that people carry. Because here's the reality. You may not have that same burden. You may not carry it, but it's only by the grace of God that you haven't. I love one of my elders in the church I serve now. He has this saying that he's he's taught his his children. He says, uh, "People are stupid." We, we we laugh. We like that part, right? But there's a second part to it. He says. Uh, People are stupid. We are people. That is, all of us have issues. All of us have different burdens that we carry in our life that we need help with. This is why I love when Jesus says this. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It did say a few things. Some things. It said nothing. It is apart from Jesus Christ, we are nothing. I heard the story of uh, Muhammad Ali. Um, supposedly, Muhammad Ali got onto a, a, a plane. He has got on the plane. The, the stewardesses were going around telling everyone, now it's time to time to get in your seat, put your seatbelts on. Muhammad Ali very cockedly said, you know, says, hey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. That stewardess swinged right around and she says, you know what? Superman don't need no plane. Sit down and belt your, your buckle up there. I'm here to tell you there is only one Superman, all right? And that is the God-man Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has all power, all strength, all might, all knowledge. He's the only one who can empower us who are nothing to do something. It's only through dependence upon Him and reliance upon Him that any of us, any of us, could ever deal with any burdens and help anyone else deal with some burdens. It's through Jesus Christ alone. That's why we must not deceive ourselves in thinking Of not letting others bear burdens in our life. One of my struggles as a pastor, and I will tell you, this is Grant's struggle. He didn't tell this to me, but I will tell him it is his struggle because I know pastors, okay? And by the way, I actually worked with him for 70 years, so I know, all right? He's not in here, I don't think, so uh, you can tell him anyway. Uh, We we pastors, get this, we pastors like to wear this... uh, this badge, this little pretend badge we have, it actually floats in our minds. Uh, this pretend badge, we can we can bear incredible burdens. We like to have the badge in our mind that, um, yeah, we, we, we really need to have a lot of people come around us and we, we can do that. Now, we don't say that audibly because we know it's false. But we, we fall into that tendency to do that. But you know what I discovered? Um, because here's the amazing thing. When I, when I preached this, this sermon a few weeks ago, actually, here's the thing. God, God always likes to teach what I'm about to preach and teach me first. I'm like, God, why do you keep doing that? And what I came to a realization is that, particularly that week, um, i was just, I mean, God love you people. You are awesome. We love you. But you are sheep, and sometimes you stink, okay? That's just the, just the way it is. I'm just going to be honest with you. But so do I. And it was overwhelming that week. And it was like God was just saying, Hey Reynolds, this passage is for you. You need to let people bear your burdens. So Don't, don't let your pastor do that either. Don't, don't let him do that. Kick him in our rear end a few times and say, Look, let me, let me carry some of that weight for you. Let me do that. We have to be willing to let one another bear each other's burdens. Now, this doesn't mean we don't carry burdens, because look what verse five says. It says this: "For each will have to bear his own load." The 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 word "heavy" in or "burden" in verse two speaks of a a difficult weight, something too much for us to carry. But the word here speaks of a a soldier's pack, and and a soldier's pack had a certain amount of weight in there that we were, were all responsible to carry. And part of that responsibility to carry is that we must be willing to bear the burdens of someone else. That is part of the soldier's pack that you and I carry as followers of Christ is wearing a soldier's pack that is looking out and looking to bear the burdens of other people. That we're not going through the Christian life, we're not going through church life by running in on Sunday and looking how fast can I get out through the, 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 the foyer there without seeing someone or seeing someone's life that needs for me to come underneath them and needs for me to begin to bear that weight and help put that weight back on the rack properly. We should be looking with eyes. This, this is one of the reasons why we're supposed to be in community and small groups and things like that. So we know those people we're walking closely with. So we're ready to come alongside and, and bear some burdens with them. Now, when we bear burdens, this, this is much more than just just encouragement. It's, just, it's more than just prayer. In fact, I heard the story of, of, of a rabbit being chased by a dog. And this, this rabbit, was, he was going all out, running away from this dog. And there were people on the side watching. And, and they were like cheering the rabbit on. they I was like, yes, rabbit, keep going. Stay away from that dog. And as the rabbit was making another loop around, it it said this out the side of his mouth. It said, thank you for your encouragement, but for goodness sake, shoot the dog. Shoot it. And the reality is, what I I mean by this, is that we must be willing to not just look at someone and just say, you know what? I'm praying for you. We, we, We can't just be, look, you know what? This too shall pass. This too shall pass. No, no, sometimes we got to get off off our chairs and we got to get up and we got to say, hey, where's the weight at? Let me me bring somebody else alongside of you. And let let me get underneath it and let me put a little strain in this myself and help me lift back up that weight and put it back up on the rack for you. That's what Jesus is calling us to here to bear one another's burdens. I have a man in the church I serve right now. Uh, He just put himself on hospice, and um, he's been struggling for years. And I've been going to visit him in the hospital. I've been going went to his home. My wife and I went to his home this last Monday, and we were with him. But uh, I just got the news, I just got the news that someone within our church, and and I love this because I always love to find out things I had no clue about. But in this case, I, I heard that there was someone, there was another lady in our church who was organizing uh, a timeline to where someone would come and visit Bert in his hospice in his home that throughout the day there would always be someone there to be with him so his wife would not have to be there all the time. And I was like, praise God, thank you, Lord. That just, that just pumped me up. I did about three flips in the air when I heard that. We're called to bear one another's burdens. This must be a group effort as well. There is no one here. There's no one here that can bear. No one here has all the gifts, all the resources, all the experiences, all the knowledge. Grant and the pastoral staff, they don't have all the experience and all the knowledge. They need, we need each other to come alongside each other and bear one another's burdens. It's a group effort. Spotting weights properly should most often be more than one person. It's a group effort. Now, here's a question. Verse 2 says this, bear one another's burdens. And look what it says there. It says, so fulfill the law of Christ. That's a a good question. What is the law of Christ? Well, turn over with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Let's look at this together. What is the law of Christ? Verse 13 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Now you've got to understand the book of Galatians was written, uh, Paul was making the case that we are justified by faith and faith alone, that, that our works, uh, even keeping the Old Testament law doesn't save us, but he's also making the case that the way that we live out spirituality is, is, is not by just going back to Old Testament ways, but it's, it's lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, walking by the Spirit's. But he's also saying, don't use your freedom just to go do whatever you want. All right. Now that you have this freedom in Christ doesn't mean you go and just live it fleshly. What he says here instead is only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But get this. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had said this in Matthew. And Matthew, when he was asked to sum up the law, he, he said, here, here, let me sum it up for you. It's to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus repeated this in John chapter 15. He, he commanded the disciples there in, in the, the upper room. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no end than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you want to know what the law of Christ is? The law of Christ is sacrificial love is when you bear one another's burdens, so you will fulfill the law of Christ, you will live out sacrificial life. And here's why I tell you this: when you go to bear burdens of one another, let me tell you something, let me be real honest, it will cost. It will cost you. It will cost you time. It will cost you emotions. It will, it will cost you, it will be painful at times. It may cost you money. It may inconvenience you. It will cost. But here's why I do it. Here's why I keep doing it. Here's even when uh, there is a, 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 a person that it, it just gets tired. Here, and here's, here's why I do it. I, I got a couple of verses I want to show to you. It's, the first one's in Isaiah. And this speaks of Christ. It says, Christ has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Then Peter picks up on this and he later says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The reason that keeps me going, that even when sometimes... Sometimes when people bring burdens to you, it's, it's discouraging. It wears on you. It's, it's tiring. And sometimes even when they bring burdens of sin, you just like to slap them. All right? You like to slap them. But then when the moment when I think I want to slap them, then I go back to this verse here and these verses here. And I remember that what was born on that cross was also my sins. That what, what Jesus did is he, did, he didn't just come to you and say, you know what? He says, you know, just just try to repent of that. Just try to try to earn your way to, to, to heaven on your own. You know, maybe you just kind of wear some of that burden on your own. No, what he did is when he was crucified, he took all our sins up, not just some of them, but he took the full weight of sin for us and he put it upon himself and he died in our place for us. He bore our sins for us. So that now when he calls me and when there's that person I just like to slap because of their sin, I remember that he has borne my sin for me. And what moves me and motivates me to bear for burdens for one another is the fact that he has borne my sin and that every time I bear someone else's sin, I put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. Every time I come along some side of someone, you can get excited. It's okay. I, I believe in that. All right. Every time... You come alongside, and that weight is getting too heavy for them. And you come underneath it. You may not say anything at all, but by just this action alone, you're putting the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. When you get underneath that weight and you help them rack it up there properly, you're putting Jesus' gospel, the gospel of grace, on display every time. That's what moves me. My hope and my prayer is that's what will move you. Now here's, he wants to give us, I think verse 2 is the primary command, but he gives us an illustration. He gives us a specific illustration of a particular type of burden that we are called to bear with others, but we don't like to. Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 says this. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, so here's the situation. All right? When you see, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, he is not calling for us. And Unless you suddenly got this thought, he's not calling for us to be the sin police. Okay? He's not calling for us to be Jesus' police. He's not calling for us to get out the binoculars and go, all right, who cannot, what What, what person in the church here is sending today? Because I'm making note of it and I'm reporting it to the pastoral staff. That's not at all what he's talking about here. The, the, the picture that he has in mind is that there's a, a Christian who is running the Christian race. They're running it and they're running it, but as long as, as they're going in the Christian race, perhaps... In the process, they kind of got close to that line of sin. You know how, like, we like to run near it sometimes. Anyone else here have run near the line? Yeah. And we run near it, and then they step over it. and I, And I think the the passage, though, all don't all agree. I think the passage is actually talking about someone who has been overtaken by it in the sense that it's it's ongoing, it's habitual. They're 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 snared by it. It's so in that case, we're come. We're to get underneath that brother, and take that sin weight on him, or we're start to try lifting it up off of him. That gets messy too. It's difficult. We kind of like to do this instead. They're running here. We like to go like this, don't we? Go the other way. But that's not what Scripture calls us to. Instead, we're to come. But what are we to do? Are we going to call the pastor? Is that what it says? Now, the text is talking to brothers, or we might say sisters as well as men in there. Yeah. It's not talking about call the pastor. There are times, there are things, there are issues that that the elders and the pastors they need to be called in upon. But this is talking about you and I and our daily doing one another with life. That we're to come alongside of. Matter of fact, I I used to ask this question a lot: Who are the ministers in the church? You, you, You can answer that question. Yeah, you got. That's weak. That's terrible. I have. You've been out of training since I've been gone. So the answer is, the, the, see, the, cl- the group before was supposed to tell you this answer. Obviously, they did not. Uh, but the answer is, we are. So when I ask you the question, who are the ministers in the church, you just say, we are. All right? So let's pretend. Let's back it up, and I'm going to do it again. All right, who are the ministers of the church? That, man, you guys did better in the first group. All right? We are. You are ministers. And it's your call. When you see a brother or sister that are overtaken by sin, you're not to ignore it. You're not to run from it. But you're to go to them. Because we love God. We love one another. We're to bear one of those burdens. Oh, and even if that sin is a sin burden, we're to go. Now, now, now here's, how, who, now here's how, how we're to do it. Notice what it says here. It says, we who are spiritual. Now, some of you just heard that. And you just go, you just went like this. All right. That sounds like some super spiritual, super duper Christian. That, that's not me. Thank the Lord. All right. Ah, yeah, I'm not letting you off that easy. All right. Turn to Galatians 5 or 16 again. Let me show you what it means to be spiritual. All right. Being spiritual doesn't mean you have seminary degrees on your wall. Being spiritual doesn't mean that in a a venture club you learn the most verses, okay? Uh, Being spiritual does not mean that, you know what, I've attended church faithfully, all right? You can be 90 years old, all right? Or you can attend a church, you can know all the verses you want, and you can still not be spiritual. You might not like to hear that. It's true. Here's what it means to be spiritual. Verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness. You think you need some of these when you're bearing someone's burden of sin? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then verse 25 says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. To be spiritual is simply this. It means to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit simply means this. It means this. It's one who is willing to yield themselves in submission to and dependence on the Holy Spirit. That is, as the Holy Spirit leads and guides you through the, through His Word, you are yielding and you are obeying and you are following Him and you are relying upon Him to be the one who empowers you to come up underside the burden of someone else and lift it up. That's what it means to be Spirit. And every one of you who names the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can make that decision to walk by the Spirit. Every one of you can be a person who is spiritual to go and bear the burden of someone else. You just got to make the choice to depend upon the Holy Spirit and rely upon Him. Now, here's the goal. The goal is this. The goal is restoration. Look at the text here. It says, "You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." That restore—I love this word, restore. It's a—it's an instructive word. The word restore literally means to put in order or to restore to its former condition. Um, it was used in the Gospel of Mark to refer to the actual taking of fishing nets and mending them. It's used. And this is the this is the like what I like is in the classical Greek the word restore is used to mend fractured or dislocated bones. That's the, that's the picture here. You know, sin to be crushing. Sin, it cracks some spiritual bones. Now, you all remember uh, back in the, the 80s, for you of I who can remember the 80s, all right? Remember back in the 80s, uh, a guy named Joe Theismann? Some of you are already groaning. Some of you know know where I'm going on this, don't you? All right. Remember Joe Theismann? And uh, he was playing. I remember I was in my living room back in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was in my living room. I was watching this game with Joe Theismann. And Joe Theismann went back, and they were playing the New York Giants. And who came breaking through the line? Anybody remember? Lawrence Taylor. All right. And some of you right now are just cringing and getting a little sick in your gut right now. Because when Joe Feisman dropped back to pass, Lawrence Taylor came flying through and he hit him right here in this leg. And I can remember even then that, that bone just going, it was a compound fraction. I just roast you all out. You're not even eating lunch now. Now, if those trainers and those doctors had come on out and said, Joe? you got a problem. Joe, why don't you get on up? Well, Joe, Joe, why don't you just kind of walk this thing off? Would I have been restoring him? No. But those trainers, what those doctors did, they came out, they calmed him, they looked him in the face, no no doubt told him to take deep breaths, to look at me, They tell him, yeah, we're here, we're going to help you. They probably got him calmed out, then they put him over on a little stretcher thingy, and then walked him all off. God is, he didn't even have to do an x-ray. They just knew. But they began to, to, to set him on the road so that someday they would restore that broken bone where he could walk again. In the Christian life, you need to know this. Some of you all here, because of the devastation of sin, have had spiritual broken bones. You've had shattered bones. You've had compound fractures of bones. You've got things in your life that you, you would ne- never want anyone to know, and then, but you, then you believe this. You believe because of this spiritually broken bone, God can't use me. And I want to first of all know that's a lie from the pit of hell. And the, the other lie of it is that we, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to look at people and go and look at them and say, yeah, they're crushed now, but I've got a God who can restore And I've got a God that can pick them up from that compound fracture of sin that can lift them back up again and that He can actually use them and He can actually minister out of their brokenness for His glory. That's our goal, folks. That's how we ought to look at people when we see them broken. Our first cause shouldn't just be to see them in their devastation, but we ought to see them with the eyes of God that says, you know what? They're devastated, but God can restore. That's the way we want to look at it. Now, how do we do this? Look what it says here. It says, You who are spiritual should restore him, and get this, in a spirit of gentleness. It is when somebody is broken spiritually, particularly in sin, they're overcome with guilt, especially if the Lord's really gotten their hearts. And we want to be a place as a body of believers that we're more like a life squad than a shooting squad, right? That's how we want to be. We, we, we want to come to them with a, with a, a gentleness and a, a, a softness and a, and a kindness as we come around them. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we distort the truth or we minimize the truth. But the way that we deliver truth is, is with gentleness, kindness, as the text also says, with humility. My kids uh, went fishing this summer at the lake. And my, my, my father-in-law is a excellent fisherman, all right? Um, but, you know, when you go fishing, you can sometimes go fishing for food or you can go fishing for fun, right? You know the difference? I mean, fishing for food is, means when you're, when you're going to haul that fish in, what you're going to do is you're going to throw that fish in the frying pan, Right? That's what you're going to do. But when you're fishing for fun, your goal is you bring it in, but your goal is to release it back out. Well, see, my father wants to, father-in-law wants to make sure that he does that in a gentle way. So when my kids would reel that fish in, my, my father-in-law would be very carefully come up and he would grab that fish. All right? You, you don't want to get those kids a hold of that because them fish, they just rip them hooks out, right? They step on them and all kinds of things. But we don't want to throw it in the frying pan. So my father, he grabs it, he takes it, takes this hand out, and he takes that thumb, and he puts that thumb right down in the mouth, and he very firmly closes his hand. I mean, it's firm, but it's gentle. And then he takes the other hand, he reaches down, and he tries to really gently kind of move that hook, that snare out of there. It's sometimes, because you know, he doesn't want, want to cause a lot of bleeding, a lot of tear in that fish. He's he's looking to put that fish back, and sometimes he brings out like a special instrument. Y'all know what I'm talking about—the needle-nose pliers. He brings those out and he takes that 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 needle-nose plier in there and he kind of smooths that hook out, and then he eases it out. All the kids are watching while he does it. Then he takes that fish. He gets down there and he just lets it go. Because he wanted to restore it to where it'll swim again. He wanted to do with gentleness. And that's what we want for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we want for ourselves. That when we have the sin that's ensnared us with its hook, we want someone that doesn't want to just, their goal isn't to put us in the frying pan. But their goal is to take it out as gently as possible. it don't hurt along the way. And then release it. And do that with humility. Let me me land this plane with this. Let me give you eight practical pointers real quick. I I believe God's like you. um, He's always teaching me something. He's not only teaching you, He's preparing you for something or someone. And there are going to be people in the next week, next two weeks, that you're needing to come... And get under the weight for them. Or you might need to pull a hook out. Let me give you eight things. First is this. Do so prayerfully. James 1.5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That is, all of us need to come. Say, God, give me the wisdom, give me the know-how of how to get a hook out of someone's mouth. Or give me the wisdom and know-how of what to say, what not to say. Show me where exactly I'm supposed to lift that weight at. Second thing is this. Listen and understand fully as possible. As pastors, we love to run our mouths. We love to speak. But there's a verse. God says, Matt, this should be your life verse. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears... It's his folly and shame. I've been a fool on more than one occasion. It's so imperative that we listen and we understand someone's burden fully before we slap a Bible verse on it, before we do anything. Listen and understand. Third thing is this. Relate to them. This is real key. This is the time when you need to let humility blow out of you. This is the time when you're looking at that person caught in that burden, particularly a burden of sin, and you're going to look at them in the face. And what you want to see, what you want them to see, written all over your face, a part of your words, humility, and you want them to gain a sense that you know what it's like to be caught in sin because you have been caught in sin. You have been overtaken by sin. You say, well, it may not be the same, but the reality is you have, and you want that to shine through and let them see that, that you're one that God has had to restore just as much. And the fourth thing is, obviously, you want to point them to Scripture. You want to explore the heart with them. You You want to help them see what in their hearts are they valuing more than Jesus Christ. What is driving this choice to go over the line into sin? What is it they value more than the love of Christ? And then urge them to repent, that is to make a change of mind, that change, deletes a change of action. and then remind them of the gospel of Christ. Always, always come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always take them back to the cross. So when that, that guilt comes over them and it will revisit them more than once, you take them back to the cross. You take them back to Colossians where it says, hey, he has taken those sins and he has nailed them to the cross. You take them back to that. And then last, you assure them of your, your support in this process of restoration. You walk with them afterwards. You, one of the things I tell people that I, that I work with, I tell them this. I say, you know, the next time you're walking down the hall and you see me coming, don't start thinking, "Well, Matt knows this about me, or Matt knows that about me." So now, I want you to start thinking that Matt's going to be looking at you with the eyes of grace, the same grace that Matt needs. That's how we look at him. That's how we walk with him. There was a great storm in, in Iowa. A great flood had happened in Iowa. And uh, the people were trying to gather up their gatherings and uh, trying to salvage things that they could. And there was a a policeman who came on the scene there to go and and help as well. And uh, he, he saw this most interesting sight as he looked out. He looked and he saw this young boy. And this young boy had over his shoulder another young boy. And then in his other hand, he was carrying some bags. And when the policeman spotted him, he, he went to them and he was just telling them, young man, that, that's a lot you're trying to do there. That's a, that's a lot you're trying to carry. What you've got on there is that's just too heavy to carry. When that boy heard that, he turned to the policeman. And he said, it ain't too heavy. He's my brother. Folks, we've got brothers and sisters sitting here right here around you. We are called to be the family of God. We are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are called to bear one another's burdens. May we allow the love of Christ move us to love one another and bear one another's burdens. You God, I come and I praise you and I thank you. I thank you for this church family, which I love so much. I've spend the privilege of spending seven years with them. My prayer, Lord, is that you will take them deeper in their love for you. And Lord, that you will take them deeper in their love for each other. Lord, I, I pray for Fellowship Bible Church that it will be a church that is marked by a place that is living out the one another's of Scripture. Lord, help us not just study the Word. Help us to live the Word. And Lord, You call us to bear one another's burdens. And Lord, there are no doubt people here who are weighed down by various difficulties in life. And there are people here who are been overtaken by sin. I pray, Lord, that Your grace and Your love will move through the people, that they will be looking for those they can come alongside. And those that need the weight borne, that they will humble themselves and allow themselves to be helped by others. And may you, by your Holy Spirit, work powerfully in the brothers and sisters of Christ here. And may you receive all the glory and all the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.